I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Uma Goresh. She's a grief guide, an award-winning author, and co-founder of the International Grief Council. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. So thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You know, I've been um, reading a lot about you the last couple of weeks, and you are an amazing person. And I love your passion when it comes to helping individuals deal um, and educate people about grief. So your journey with Death and Dying started with a very personal experience. Can you share your story? Oh, absolutely. Um, In the spring of 08, my husband, my daughter, who was 15 at the time, and I moved from India to the United States. And as we were really literally cobbling together an apartment and getting started with life here, I received an email from my sister in India that my mother had been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And that just hit me in the gut, the, it knocked the wind out of my sails because we didn't have friends here. I hadn't started a job. My daughter was getting ready to go to summer school because she needed to make up some credits for high school. Um, and in the midst of this, this diagnosis just devastated me. Now, you were close, you were close to your mom. I was very close to my mother. We would talk to each other every day on the phone. And sadly, she died eight months after her initial diagnosis. So I was in this place where I was grappling with these questions. What is this thing called death? Why do we avoid it? Well, coming from India, we didn't really avoid it because grandparents lived with us and we saw death up close. But I had never investigated this journey with any kind of curiosity. And my mother's passing really brought me to that place. It made me aware that um, we don't have all the time we think we do on this mortal earthly journey. So her death really broke me wide open, even as it brought me to my knees. And that was the starting point of my transformational story. But you did not have to only deal with your mom's death, correct? Correct. So your father, tell me, it wasn't long after your mother had passed away that you were dealing with your father, correct? That's right. Well, my father had a brain injury in 1993, and my mother had been his primary caregiver all those years. And so my father once she passed away, didn't really know how to manage his life. He lived with my sister and brother-in-law at the time, but even so, he was lost and lonely and like a little child whose mother had been taken away from him, not his wife, because she really cared for him with that kind of compassion and affection that he was lost. So, he died just 18 months after my mother passed away. 
How did you go from experiencing grief and the loss of both your parents to writing a book about grief? Hmm, interesting question. So as I say in all my interviews, I didn't choose grief and loss as a calling. It chose me. I couldn't do anything else after this experience of losing both my parents because it brought me really up close to death and dying. And the grief that I felt after their passing was like nothing I had ever known. And I got really curious about the big life questions. You know how every quest begins with a question? And the biggest question I was grappling with at the time was, who am I? Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of this life? Why was I put here and what am I meant to do here? And I think in trying to explore the answers to those questions, because there are no answers, there's just the process of exploration, I got very curious and I walked into this fire called death and dying. And that fire had to literally burn me away, my small self away. And in the process of being burned in that death, I think my higher calling, my passion to live my life purposefully and meaningfully really was birthed. That is probably one of the greatest explanations I've ever heard. Because sometimes people don't understand when you lose people, you, you, a part of you dies, that person that you knew dies, and you have to rebirth. And I too have not the same, but a similar experience of how my life was redirected um, when I lost someone too. You, you're talking about your book and your first book, Understanding Death, 10 Ways to Enter Peace for the Grieving. So let's talk about the, the 10 ways. What, it, what are the 10 ways? I think these are the 10 questions that most grievers have to deal with when they lose someone, they die. Um, and these are the questions that came to me when my mother died, because I hadn't really spent any time thinking about death, this ultimate journey we all get to go on. Um, I hadn't spent any time talking about it, reading about it. And so the 10 questions that came to me when my mother died were, what is death? What is the point of life if we are just going to die? What is the purpose of life? Is God punishing me by taking a loved one away? Why do bad things happen to good people? Do some people die alone? Why is grief so hard? How do I deal with my feelings of grief? Are my deceased loved ones lost to me forever? And what happens when we die? Where do we go? Is this the only life we're given? So those were the questions I was dealing with. And as I spoke to people and started to work with the dying, it came to me that these are the questions that most people struggle with. And in your book, you answer these questions, correct? That's correct, yes. So take one of the most, one of the questions from your book that you're asked about all the time, and let's answer that question. What, what is that one question that stands out among the 10 that you feel that uh, most people ask and are just wondering about? A question that I get asked very often is, why is grief so hard? And I think the answer to that is because we don't spend any time thinking about death and dying. We don't prepare for this. We grow up in families that 
don't model emotional expression for us. So we grow with parents who have their own pain and haven't dealt with their pain. They pass on the pain to us, but they don't give us the permission to talk about it, to explore it, to embrace it. So with this stunted expression of grief, we grow up with the emotional expression, we grow up not knowing what to do when grief happens. And I think that's one of the main challenges that people have when it comes to grieving. They don't know what to do with the rage or the, um, the sadness, the feeling of exhaustion, the uh, need to blame, to find something to peg their unfinished needs, their unfinished business on, you know. So that is the question I'm asked more often. And I think that's why people like you and me do the work we do to educate people, to help them learn to embrace their feelings a little better so that moving forward, they know how to do this better. I would tend to agree with you, but you have a really unique viewpoint because you know how people die in India and you have been in the United States for several years. You know how we deal with death and dying. What are the differences that you've seen from your culture in India versus the U.S. culture when it comes to grief? I think the two main differences is that grief is rather inclusive in the Indian culture. You know, when someone dies, we have 13 days of rituals so those rituals are a very rich container to express and contain people's grief. So you feel held, you feel embraced. And I've come to understand that the rituals are not for the dead. The rituals are for the living to help make sense of what happened, to honor the presence of this person in your life and find a way to move forward carrying that grief. And for the first 12 months after someone in your family dies, you perform rituals every month, which culminates in the final ritual um, one year after they die, which is a grand feast where everyone gets together and there are ceremonies and there's incense and light and flowers. And it's a celebration of life, but it's also a culmination and completion. So that really gives people a safe space to express to talk about their feelings and their values, which I find missing in the United States. And I think that's a really big reason why people struggle with grief here. Why do you not think we do and adopt some of these rituals in cultures that seem to do the death and dying thing really, really well? Why, do, why are we so resistant to adopting some of these rituals? I think people are becoming more open to embracing these rituals. I'm finding more and more that people love chanting and mantras and they're borrowing so much from other traditions and cultures and faiths, which is such a wonderful thing. But maybe a reason why people are resistant is because of this belief that grief needs to be private and you need to be able to do it yourself. You don't go around telling people how sad and broken you feel. That's not in alignment with this value of independence that Westerners hold very dear to their lives. I think that's one of the reasons. That is a great answer. I never really thought about that. But you want, because, you know, even talking to my own family, and they don't even talk about how they want to die. It's like, shh, 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 shh. you know, we've got that handled. And it's, 
It's really interesting. That's a really great point that you point out that, uh, that death and dying and grief seems to be more private in the Western culture. Well, one of the questions um, researching and, and getting to know you is, is why do we think we question our own existence when we lose someone of great importance? Why, why is that the first thing that we do? And I just had a loss of someone so important to me back in 2016. And I found myself saying, what is it all for? Um, so why, what do you think? My response is that not everyone does. For some people, they have a loss and somehow they're able to pick themselves up and move on, go back to their jobs and do the same thing over and over again. And I don't know why that is. But I think for those of us who feel transformed by that loss, it's because we come face to face with death. There's no more denying it. There's no more turning away from it. And so there's a real awareness of our mortality and awareness that time is finite and we don't have all the time we think we do um, on this earthly existence. I think that propels us to move forward with a sense of urgency, reevaluate our life priorities. Am I really doing what I'm here to do? Do I enjoy my job? Um, What is the story I'm telling myself about being safe? We tend to question and evaluate those things when someone that is dear to us dies. Yes, and that I've found my own self questioning and, and trying to answer those same questions in my own mind. You are a part of a trio, um, you, which I think is amazing. You've started an organization with um, co-founded an organization, International Grief Council. Um, what is an International Grief Council? What does that mean? The International Grief Council was co-founded um, in 2014 by three women, Loanne Mayer, Daniela Norris, and myself. So each of us have experienced the loss of a beloved family member. But what's important and interesting is that we used that life-transforming event to find our second chapters, our life's calling. So we banded together to share and teach what we've come to learn through our personal journeys. The International Grief Council seeks to create a safe space for the hard and sensitive conversations around grief, loss, death and dying. And our mission is to connect with the grieving and let them know, see, hear and feel our stories and embrace theirs so we have a chance to affirm our common humanity. And what's so unique about this group, the three of you guys, is that you guys all come from different cultures, uh, which I believe is amazing. So let's talk a little bit about the different cultures that you guys all come from. Of course, you're, we talked a little bit about you growing up in India and coming to the United States. Tell, tell me a little bit about your two two other co-founders. That's one of the big strengths we see um, in the International Grief Council, especially in the context of what's going on in the world today. So I'm Hindu, Daniela is Jewish, and Loanne was raised Catholic. And we didn't plan to band together, you know, because we were from different faiths. It just happened. I happened to, at the time, have a radio show, and both of them were my guests individually on the show. And we felt even as we were talking, this immediate soul connection and knew that we were meant to co-create something bigger. We just didn't know what it was at the time. 
But as we started talking, we knew that we had to impact the world in positive ways. And one fine day, we were on a Skype call, and that's when it even occurred to us that we are from different cultures and different faiths. And then we started to see the bigger picture in this, that, you know, when we encounter a loss, nothing matters. Our skin color, race, religious affiliation, none of that does. We are brought back to our basic humanity. Something or someone we loved died. And that's a global experience. That's a global reality for everyone who's in a human body. And so we thought, what a powerful message to take to the world that we could, you know, constantly harp on our individual differences or we can come together and say, you know what? You cry just like me and I laugh just like you. Yes. And so what does this group, we've heard a little bit about your mission, what on a yearly basis are some of your goals with this International Grief Council? So our intention is to travel to some place every year and and travel and teach. We traveled to um, New York and New Jersey in 2015 and to New Mexico where we did public events um, everywhere. Our intention is to travel wherever we are invited and share stories of being broken down and then breaking through to the new dawn of our lives. That's really our mission. We also want to teach and embrace and be inclusive of everyone who's struggling to make sense of their loss. We don't have all the answers because we're just three ordinary women who are trying to do something extraordinary. But as Rumi says, our intention is to help people not find the answers, but live in the questions. And that's only possible when we open to the mystery. So if someone who is listening to this podcast wants to get you to come to their city, how do they contact you? They can contact us through our website, which is www.internationalgriefcouncil.org. And so I really encourage you guys who are listening to, if you want to bring these three extraordinary women to your hometown, get in touch with th- these individuals because what are they? What they're doing is really breaking through this whole grief barrier. Now, tell me a couple of um, cities that you have visited, and tell me a little bit about the experiences or workshops. Um, what What does that mean when when you do go to someone's hometown? So we did a um, an event at a bookstore in New York City, and the way we format our program is we take 30 minutes each to tell our own individual story and then we open it up for Q&A for the last 30 minutes. So that's one format we've been working with but we were also invited to do an extended workshop um, in New Mexico. So we are open to different kinds of formats whether it's a Q&A, whether it's each one of us speaking about our individual experiences and how we have translated that into the holy work we do in the world today. So we are very, very open to formatting our programs depending on the specific requests we receive. I think that is amazing. So you um, are working on a third book. You have two books out. One, of course, we've talked about already called The the Ten Ways. Um, Tell me the title of your second book. The second book is the story that tells the transformational um, journey that I went through when my mother died. It's called Losing Amma, Finding Home, a memoir about love, loss, and life's detours. 
So this, the second book really gets down and intimate with your whole experience about losing your mom as well as your father and the transition coming from India to the United States. Correct. Yes. And so tell me a little bit about this third book. The third book isn't about death and dying. It it um, evolved out of a life experience I had. Uh, very dear friends of mine invited me to be a part-time nanny to their child, their newborn. And I was... I was struggling with the decision. I didn't know if I wanted to be a nanny. My daughter was 15 and I was well past diapers and burp rags and didn't know if I wanted to do that again. (laughs) But I went to sleep that night and asked God for a sign. I said, let me know what I should do. This is completely out of the blue. And I woke up with two clear images. I saw both my parents in my dream and I woke up with this message. It is God's grace. And I thought, what the hell does that even mean? God? <laughs> and when I was fully awake, I said, oh, my God, the baby's name is Grace. And so I picked up the phone, called my friends and said, it's a deal. I'll do this. And when you're in your 40s, spending time with a newborn, you look at that journey so differently than I did when I was a young mother. Every day when I went into watch, I would say, what are you going to teach me today? What are you going to teach me today? And what she taught me turned into a single line that I would write in my journal. And each of those lines became an essay, which is now turning into a book called Lessons from Grace. I love it. You know, there's a saying, um, I, I study a lot of Taoism, and there's a saying that if you really want to know what's important, look at young, young children like infants and toddlers or puppies, because they're going to show you the basic needs, but they're going to also show you what's most important in life. Exactly. And that's really what she did for me. So each of those essays is about how a child embraces and views life and how we have lost it growing up being conditioned by society, parents, so on and so forth, and how we need to come back to finding our center. Oh, that's amazing. I look forward to reading that book. I, I re- when is it supposed to be published? Well, I'm working on the final edits as we speak, so I'll keep you posted. Please, please. And you'll have to probably come back on and, and tell us all about it. You know, some of the things in working with the dying, you, you see life differently, And I I talk in my TED Talk a little bit about how, you know, paying attention to the babies and the puppies and the toddlers, but it also is working with the dying that make life so magnified. You know, living a daily life, you don't realize how fragile life is and how much we do take for granted. What are some of the last words that you'd like to share with our listeners about life, death, grief, you know, whatever you want to share? You know, you're so right, Kimberly, when you say so many of those valuable lessons come to us uh, from the dying. And I continue to work with seniors. This is my ninth year working with seniors. I think the most important lesson I have learned is death is an invitation to live more fully. Because I have been present to listen to the regrets of the dying and, you know, the dreams they didn't get to have or the choices they didn't make. And that makes me wake up every morning and ask myself, am I living my life focused on what's truly meaningful? Am I focusing my energy on what truly matters to me? 
And how will I be remembered when I'm gone? You know, I don't get to take anything with me, but I get to leave a lot of love behind. So my job and my mission is to just simply create as much love as I can from one day to the next. So tell us and the listeners where they can find your work. I know that you're a part of this great group, uh, the Grief Council, um, International Grief Council, but also where can they find you and your specific work? The easiest way to find me is through my website, www.umagirish.com. I'm also very active on Facebook and you can find me there at Uma Writes. So that's my handle. Well, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us today. You are an amazing person. You're just the small conversations and the limited time that we've had and shared. You've had a huge impact on my life. And I just want to support and be one of your cheerleaders as you go forth with the, you know, International Grief Council, as well as your your books that you're trying to spread love. And I think when you needle it all down, it is all about love and leaving a legacy behind. And that's the question is, what will our legacies be? And I think yours is is pretty extraordinary. Thank you, Kimberly. You've been a wonderful host and asked some really profound questions which helped us co-create this conversation. So thank you. You're amazing. You be well, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.